Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we got a busy episode here. We're going to start with the schedule release. We already knew the opponents. Now we know the where, the when, and in what order. So we'll break it down, the good and the bad of that. I have some interesting observations from the schedule release that came out on Wednesday night. We're also going to have Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl, up later. Trust me, you're not going to want to miss this. He has some very interesting uh, insight on the Giants draft class. Now, he, Jim Nagy, is, you know, the Senior Bowl is down in Mobile, Alabama. Jim Nagy's down in Mobile, Alabama. The Giants' first-round pick, Kadarius Tony, also happens to be from Mobile, Alabama. So Jim knows him very, very well. I think you're going to be very interested in hearing what he has to say about Kadarius Tony and what he's known about him now for years. So stay tuned for that. Also, I'll, I'll touch on it just a little bit. Uh, the Giants roster, and go to ESPN.com. I wrote a story on it's really a stark comparison between the roster 16 months ago when Joe Judge took over and the roster as it is composed right now. And I asked a personnel executive with another team, Mike Tannenbaum, also a, the former general manager of the Jets and the Dolphins, of their opinion, position by position, of where the Giants are in regards to their roster. And I think you'd be very interested to see just how improved, and I think the word that was used was astonishing, how much difference there is, especially in the depth of the roster. So go check it out. It's on ESPN.com. Uh, you could find it on the on the Giants page. But let's get into the schedule because that was released on Wednesday night. And there's some interesting things from the schedule. And what I and, and we've seen this for years now, right? Every year the Giants, what, what happens? They open in Dallas. The NFL says, you're going to Dallas, you're gonna start in Dallas, and Dallas has been a pretty, pretty loaded, talented team. Now, we all know they've underachieved uh, pretty much perennially, right? For the last what, 30 years, basically. But Starting in Dallas is a, is a division game against what's generally been a pretty good team, at least you know above five hundred most years. Team on the road in a what's a party like raucous environment in Week One because everyone you know everyone in Week One thinks the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl, obviously down there especially, but really around the nation where the cow you know America's team fan base is just overly optimistic again. An annual tradition. So they've been stuck with that tough opening game for the most part for the last eight eight years. I think they played five of the eight against the Cowboys previous eight years. This year they don't. Okay. And not only do they not, and last year, last year they didn't play the Cowboys, but they still they had a brutal opening stretch, right? I mean, really, really tough. So and that's why we knew the Giants were going to struggle out of the gate last year. And they started 0-5 as it turned out. They've been how about this? They've been 0-2 each of the last four years. And in two of those four seasons, 0-5, including last year. Right? They started with the Steelers. Then they had the Bears and the 49ers, who before they were completely devastated, although they kind of were devastated for that game injury-wise. Then the Rams, at the Rams, at the Cowboys. So that was a tough opening stretch. This year, this year, versus Denver, at home against Denver. Now, Denver's defense might be better and good, uh, but they're still, unless Aaron Rodgers shows up, the quarterback situation, not great. Denver was terrible last year. Grant Devon Miller should be back. But at home against Denver, very, very winnable game. 
Then they play at Washington on a Thursday night. I think that's a tough game. I'm I'm actually high on Washington. I think that defense that that defense was second in the league last year. And with that pass rush, that defense is going to be really, really good. And then they got Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I know I'm not I'm not a big Ryan Fitzpatrick fan. I know most people aren't. But from a production standpoint, he's better than what they had last year. So it is an improvement. So they made an improvement. Even I could even say this significant improvement, even though I really don't love Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's probably a significant improvement over, you know, Dwayne Haskins started for them. Kyle Allen started for them. Uh, Alex Smith on one leg started for them. I mean, at least Fitzpatrick's better than those. Now, he'll lose them some games. But that's a pretty good team. To, but the thing is, even through all the Giants' struggles, the one team they've still fared well against is who? Washington. The Washington football team. Still fared well against the Washington football team. I hope I didn't say the R word before. When I, when I mentioned Washington, it, that's one of those things. Got the Washington football team. So week two, my voice might have cracked there. That was that was, that was pretty awful. <laughs> week three at home for the Giants against an Atlanta team that's not very good. So think about the opportunity right there in that three game opening stretch at home against Denver and Atlanta, two of the worst teams in the NFL last year. The worst. Neither of them are going to be very good this year. Now they could be all right. But neither of them are world beaters. And then at Washington on a Thursday night. Not an easy game, but the Giants have, for some reason, they swept Washington last year, played very well against Washington over the last decade or whatever. It's the only division team they've had a lot of success against is Washington. So a big opportunity for the Giants to start strong this year and get Daniel Jones off on the right foot which I think is going to be huge. Get him off on the right foot. Start well, although Denver-Washington's defense is, they're, they're going to be pretty good defenses that he's facing. But with all those weapons, at home, first three weeks, generally nice weather, but at least it's, it's not going to be freezing and snowy. Like, there is almost zero reason for the Giants not to start strong this year. Joe Judge's second year, second year in Jason Garrett's offense. Daniel Jones's third season, all these weapons at his disposal. Two, I, I would be, if you're the Giants, you're disappointed if you're not two and one. Disappointed. And I even went as far as to predict three and oh in that opening stretch. Now the schedule gets a little more difficult at Dallas versus the Rams versus Carolina, then at Kansas City on a Monday night. Obviously, that's a brutal game versus Las Vegas. So there's two really tough games out of the first. I mean, New Orleans, I, I think New Orleans is still going to be really good. That roster is good, even though Jameis Winston's now their starter instead of Drew Brees. But that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So nine games before their bye, which is in week 10. And if you ask me those nine games, I say can't, at Kansas City on Monday night, brutal. That's a really good team. The Rams, the Giants are at home for that game, but that's a really tough game. And then. Dallas and New Orleans, both. One of them will be, one of those two teams will be really good this year. So that'll be three out of your first eight are tough. Five, other five, like I'm talking about really tough. And other five, really winnable. So those are probably three games that, those three really tough ones are probably three games that probably, that that they're going to lose. And the other five are winnable games. So you win four of those, four and four, right? You win all five, you're five and three. I guess they could steal a Dallas or New Orleans on the road. 
not going to bank on that, right? Then you come out of the bye, you play at Tampa. That's tough. Versus Philadelphia, always have trouble with Philly. I know they beat him late last year. And then at Miami and at the Chargers. So that's kind of difficult. But then the end of the season, extremely manageable. Versus Dallas, at Philly, at Chicago, versus Washington. Three out of four in the division. Division's not going to be great. And that's how you end up with the 25th ranked schedule, hardest schedule. So only, what, seven teams have easier schedules than the Giants this year based off last year's records? Now, there'll be some teams that make a jump. Like, I see the Chargers making a jump this year. I see Carolina will probably show some improvement. They'll be a little better team. New Orleans will probably revert a little bit back to the mean. And then Atlanta and Denver, I don't see either of them blowing up and making a big jump. Chicago, going to be a big game. Think about that. That game, late in the season, at Chicago, week this is, this is week 17, even though it's the second to last game. Again. This whole 17-game schedule is crazy because 9-8 and eight just doesn't have a good ring to it. 10-7, and se- ten and seven, I mean, got to get used to this. So used to saying 10-6, and 9-7, and, and 8-8. Eight and eight. No such thing as 8-8 eight eight anymore, by the way. No such thing as being a 500 team. So I, I like that they end the season with three divi- three or four division games. And then Chicago, who remember, that's the team they made the trade with for Chicago's first-round pick. So you're hoping Chicago is in a downward spiral, playing Justin Fields to give him experience, and the Giants then can beat Chicago because that ultimately, the worse Chicago is, the more it improves the Giants' draft pick. So that game regardless of where the two teams stand, will impact the draft later on that year because that game is January 2nd. So the day after New Year's in Chicago, the day after Christmas at Philadelphia, and then that Tampa game is on a Monday night. That's November 22nd. I believe that is, yeah, I believe that is uh, the start of Thanksgiving week. It is because that next week is the 28th when they play the the Eagles. So tough games. Look, it the Tampa game is tough, right? Obviously, Tampa at Tampa on a Monday night, November 1st, Monday night at Kansas City. Those were going to be two really tough games anyway. They became even tougher by now being primetime games. Same with that Washington game in week two. That, that one is the one that could be a tough game, the first three. To have those as primetime games makes them tougher. We're expecting crowds to be back, potentially full crowds in the stadiums. Those are, you know, Washington, big stadium, a lot of people there. Uh, Kansas City, a lot of noise there. Tampa, not not the most intimidating place in the world. But to play primetime games on the road, probably going to be, especially against Kansas City and Tampa, too much for this, this team at this point. They're not, and I, I wrote this, and I truly believe this. This year is not about becoming a real contender. It's about becoming a winning team. And then the next step would be to be taking the step into being a serious contender. So just be a winning team this year. Get to 9-8. and eight. This schedule is doable. The 25th-ranked schedule. Like, what else do you want? 25th-ranked schedule with a fairly appetizing opening three weeks to get off on the right foot, okay? So let's say... I predicted 3-0. Let's say they do 2-1. Say they lose that Washington game. 
Then they have at New Orleans, at Dallas the next two weeks. Split those. And I think they can split. I think they can steal one of those. Neither of those teams are going to be world beaters, both beatable. So now you're sitting there after six, what, one, two, no, five weeks, and you're three and two and in good shape. And we could at least feel optimistic about the prospects of the Giants for 2021 because you start off 0 and 2, 0-3, 0-4, 0-5, like last year. All of a sudden you're sitting there, you're saying, done, finished. You need the division to be historically bad to have a chance late in the season. And you end up winning six games and being out of the playoffs. But this year, there's a chance to start much stronger. And I think that's what the Giants' concentration needs to be now. Everything else will take shape. Because, like, the schedule as we look at it now, okay, you know kind of what you're getting early in the season. There'll be an injury here or there. But by week six, seven, eight, we could throw everything out that we're saying now because these teams with injuries, uh, quarterback changes, just the way the league turns upside down, we don't know what the Raiders are going to be in week nine before the bye week. I mean, I'll predict they're not going to be very good. Certainly a winnable game in MetLife Stadium, you know. But after the bye week at Tampa, let's say Tom Brady's injured. All of a sudden, Tampa's different, right? Because San Francisco last year, they remember they were the Super Bowl team the previous year. By the time they even came to the Giants in week three, they weren't even that team. They remember their whole team basically got injured in week two. The fact that the Giants lost to them and got smashed by them in week three when they had nobody on their team basically playing was pretty awful. Giants lost 36-9. But that's kind of why the second half of the season, we really don't know. There'll be a lot of teams like that. That'll just be flipped, turned upside down, injury devastated. Who knows what the heck they look like? Maybe the Giants are that team this year. Who knows? The bottom line is start the season strong. Denver, right now, here, starting quarterbacks for their first three weeks. Then four weeks, how about this? Denver, Drew Locke. Washington, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Atlanta, they have Matt Ryan. Okay, really good player, won an MVP. At New Orleans, Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill. Okay? So you better do your damage in that in that range. Drew Locke, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill. Three of the first four weeks. Get it done. Get some W's. Otherwise, we're going to be in for another long, long year. Feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business? Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. All right, we have Jim Nagy, Executive Director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, here with us. Uh, Jim, uh, we know you were all over the draft. Also, he's a contributor to ESPN's draft coverage in the lead-up. And who better to do it because he studies the guys 
they scout for guys for the senior bowl, I guess uh, the year be- uh, leading up to the draft, even the year back, Jim, is that right? I mean, how, how far in advance do you start looking at these guys? <laughs> yeah. Jordan, I mean, you're already you're into 2022. You do you, you the 2023 yet or what? You like these high school? <laughs> no, we don't go that far back, but no, man, I appreciate you having me on. We started, um, our scouting staff started a couple weeks after our game. So like the middle of, of February. And now I'm staring at a board with like 400 plus names on it. And I've only seen a handful of them. So, um, this time of year stresses me out a little bit. Um, I got I have a lot of catch up to do, but the great thing is these guys have put in a lot of good work and set the board. Um, and now I just got to spend the rest of the summer looking at these guys and, and figuring them out myself. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a, a year long, it's a never ending cycle for sure. Well, you had interaction with a lot of the guys that were just drafted because they were at the senior bowl this past year, which brings us to the giants class. Four guys were in the senior bowl. The giants talked about it, that that interaction to them was priceless, right? Because in a year where things are crazy, your interaction to players is kind of limited. I think that's an understatement right there, right? In comparison to what it usually is. Why do you think the giants were so, and is it, how unique is this? Are they by themselves or in a large group of teams that put such a heavy emphasis, even more than usual, because there's always an emphasis on the senior bowl and the access they get. But this year, more than most, the Giants really, really emphasize that, that, that when they, we talked about their interaction with these guys. Yeah, I think, I think most teams did. I think it's only human nature that we gravitate to things we're more familiar with. Right. And you're, these guys, Dave Gettleman's making million dollar decisions. And again, I think as fans and us on the outside, we can, you know, we just kind of talk about these draft picks and, you know, it's just, it's entertainment. It's fun to talk about, but I mean, for guys like Dave, I mean, that's, that's some heavy stuff. So um, you want to make those decisions, you know, with as much, be as educated as possible and, and having the senior bowl be the only time this year they, they were able to actually to sitting down face to face with the players was huge. Um, again, it's not just the 15 minutes they get with them in an interview. It's the observational learning. It's just watching these guys walk out to practice and how they interact with teammates and how they take coaching, you know, between reps during practice. I mean, if you, if you really are tuned in to what's happening down here over the seven days, you can walk away with some incredible takeaways way more so than, um, you know, like why, I mean, they get, they get very little access at the combine to what these, what these guys are doing. Um, you know, in a pro day that in a normal year pro days, there's a little more interaction, but, but no, the giants, I think, uh, did they take five guys out of the game this year? As I, I think is the number, but, uh, four or five guys, but I know we had, we had nine different teams this year, to, uh, select five players. Um, so that's, we had 106 players drafted out of the game, which was 41% of this year's draft class played in our game. Um, but yeah, nine of the teams had picked five players. Well, so then you got to see one of the guys that the Giants did pick was was their first round pick, right? 20th overall, Kadarius Tony. Guy you actually know well because he's from the Mobile area, right? So, uh, what did yeah, you what yeah. did you what did you see from him though uh, during that Senior Bowl week? Yeah, he's uh, like you said. He went to Blunt High School here in Mobile when he played quarterback. So I feel like I've been I've been scouting Kadarius for about seven years now. But uh, he's to me outside of Jalen Waddle, I thought that Kadarius was the second most you know dynamic explosive playmaker in the draft. 
Um, and, and he might be the best change of direction athlete in the draft. I mean, you look at his ability to stop and start and put his foot in the ground and change direction and make people look silly. Um, he's got that. I mean, he's kind of got that joystick quality to him. Uh, and he showed that this week. He can, he can run any route. He can turn people inside out. Um, what I really liked about him was um, his, his football character is off the charts in terms of just competitive, tough. Um, he's one of those guys you don't even have to ask that of, of the people at Florida because it shows up on the tape. I mean, I think Kadarius's biggest problem, his biggest issue moving forward is, is, is maybe being a little less tough and a little less competitive because he – he just, you know, for a guy get that down. can make people get miss, down. Yeah, for a guy that can make people miss, like he kind of likes running through people. So, um, and he showed he showed that here. So, no, his ability to win one on one is 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 really good. And then with with the ball in his hands, he's he's awesome. So he'll give he'll give Daniel Jones a legit weapon, a guy that he can get the ball too quick um, and let and let him make plays and and, and get a bunch of uh, you know chunk yards after the catch. So. Uh, really like that pick. Again, outside of Jalen Waddle, you've got, um, to me, the the second most dynamic guy at the wide receiver position in the draft. The contact balance with the ball in his hands is something I, I had people in the organization tell me. Like you know that that was one of the things that impressed them with Kadarius Tony. That's kind of like what you say, like you know, making plays with the ball in his hand and even not getting down and tr- and trying to make those extra yards. So, is that always? I mean, do you what do you remember? You you saw him play in high school. He says called Blount. Is that, Blunt is that, High School, yeah. Blunt, okay. Uh, Blunt High School in Mobile. Uh, what do you remember about that? Like, what do you what do you remember when you first saw him? And what, what was that? What was it like watching him play when he was in high school? Yeah, you know, like most. He was a quarterback. Like Let's get college. that straight, like so people know. Like, he was this. He was <laughs> yeah. He was a versatile quarterback. He was a QB, and like most of these Power Five recruits, I mean, he he looks different on a on a high school football field, you know. And and him having the ball in his hands every play, you definitely saw the athlete. I mean, that was just the quickness. Um, and you said like the contact balance, the power. He plays so much bigger than his measurables. I think uh, one thing that one point that needs to be made is, you know, he was kind of compared in this class to to Elijah Moore from Ole Miss and and Rondell Moore from Purdue. Well, Kadarius is 5'11 and a half, 190 some pounds. And I know Rondell was 5'9 and a half, and Ronda Moore is 5'7. So, I mean, Kadarius is a bigger guy. Like, he, he, we, we kind of put him there in the slot, but he's not a guy that can only play in the slot. He's, he's got the size to play outside. But, but yeah, at high school, he just he looked like a different guy out there. And then, even going back to his freshman year in Gainesville, back when I was working for the Seahawks and scouting the Southeast, um, you go to the practice field and, and that was a good receiver group. You look at last year's class, they had three rookies, Van Jefferson, Brett, um, Swain and uh, Tyree Cleveland all make 53 man rosters last year. And he was in that position group and he looked different than all those guys too. I mean, he's been, I know statistically this year, he made a big jump at Florida, but he's been the most dynamic player on that roster since he's been there as well. So, um, you know, he was able to stay healthy this year and it all came together in Dan Mullen's offense. So, um, yeah, I mean, just from the time I've seen him, he's always been the most dynamic guy in the field. What would you have said if you, I told you, hey, he was going to be the 20th pick as a wide receiver, though, when you first saw him in Florida and when you saw him first saw when you actually saw him play in high school? Um, you know, I, I again, I receiver, I mean, it, it made a lot of sense, but he could really throw it too. Like when you get him at camp, I mean, I hope that, uh, I hope they put in some 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 jet sweep runs or something for the guy to let him chuck it a little bit because he's got a he's got a cannon for an arm. Um, 
you know, the guy that trains him down here, uh, David Morris, who also trains Daniel Jones yeah, in Daniel's eighth grade. Of course. Yeah. I mean, he, he, Kadarius worked with him in high school as well at QB country and, and David swears he can throw it 70 yards. Um, so he's, he's got, he's got a legit arm, arm on him, but no, you, you know, that they, they, they recruited him there as a quarterback, but I do think that Florida, even in the back of their minds knew that he was destined to be a wide receiver. Um, so right. no, I, I wouldn't sit here and say that <laughs> six years ago, I, I would have said Kadarius was a first round, first round wide receiver, but he definitely looked like an NFL player. When did he, in your mind, right? Did you say to yourself, okay, this could be a first round player. Like, did you know that scouting him last year? Or is this something yeah, well, that, that kind of, he kind of evolved into that this year or not till you even got him at the senior bowl. Did you think it was going to rise that high? No, we had him in the, we had him in the first round last summer when we looked at him again, a lot of that's my background with him. I knew what he, I knew what he could be. You look at, you look on paper and it looks like he made this, you know, huge jump this in the, this past year. Um, and people act like Kadarius was just came out of nowhere, but no, we had him. He was, he was one of our top rated receivers on our board. Oh, last summer with Devonte Smith, he and Devonte were up there kind of by themselves, um, on our senior bowl board. And, and I do have proof of that. I shot, I screenshotted <laughs> our, our board last spring. And I, you know, I, I do send that out to some guys in the, you know, guys, uh, in the draft world that, that ask for it. So, um, there is, there is, there is verification out there somewhere. This isn't revisionist history, but no, we, we had Kadarius in the first round of summer ago. Just because I, I know what the talent is. I know I, I've always know what kind of talent this guy has. So for him to end up 20, um, I, I was just really happy for him. Yeah, there is sort of a narrative that like the Giants, so you know, so I guess it's the Dave Gettleman haters are just kind of, hey, he well, you know, they reach for this guy. Like I I thought he was I saw most people think he was a first round pick. Like it wasn't a surprise to me that he end up ended up being a first round pick. Now, obviously, I didn't study him last year. I had no idea you know that, that he that he was a first round pick last year, but uh, the fact that you did it makes shows you what the NFL community and the scouting community kind of kind of thinks of him. So, with that being said, you brought up Devontae Smith. Uh, how big is that gap? How when you scouted those guys coming into the draft, where how big of a gap did you see between those two guys? Right, I assume you had you you know the Alabama program inside and out. So, you know Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle. How much of a gap was there kind of between them and and Kadarius Tony? Not significant. No, not significant at all. I think, uh, you know, what separates, uh, to me, Devonte was the best receiver in the draft, just in terms of the overall receiver and what he brings to the table. Um, again, the, the bulk deficit deficiency worried some people, um, you know, being a buck 68, buck right. 70, it didn't, it didn't concern me at all just because it's an I, outlier. What that's it, what it is. It's an outlier. You're bad. You're, you're yeah, you, you know, you don't want to, yeah, you don't want to build your team full of outliers, but I, I really do feel like he is the one. I mean, anytime you're rolling it back 25 years to compare him to guys like Isaac Bruce and and uh, guys of that nature, you know the guys he was being compared to. Um, right. Good. You know that just tell that that just that just tells you what kind of guy. If you got to go back 25 years to make a player comp on a guy, um, <laughs> it, it should t- it should tell you how good he is. Um, you know, but what what makes Kadarius and Waddle a little different is the return stuff. Um, you know, Devonte did some really cool stuff as a gunner on punt team, and he ran down on kickoff, and he and he returned as well. But Kadarius and, and Waddle both um, were off the charts in that area. I actually Waddle's the best returner, dual returner, punts and kicks that I that I that I'd scouted since uh, Devin Hester came out of Miami. So um, wow, really? he was he's he's phenomenal. Yeah, I I hope the Dolphins. I think that to me 
I haven't spoken to B flow down there about the pick or anything, but I would think that, uh, part of making that pick was, was the coaching staff feeling good about playing him in the return game. Cause he can significantly impact two phases of the game. Ask Kadarius can probably why I judge mean, loved think, him. Right. I mean, the, the special teams background on top of being a receiver. I mean, that's like an added bonus there. Yeah. To me, Kadarius is more of a punt return guy um, than a kick return guy, but yeah, I mean, you could, you put okay. him back there on punts and he's going to make things happen in that phase of the game. Well, so yeah, there were back to your original question there, there to me, there wasn't much separation for me between uh, the Alabama guys and, and, and KT. Yeah. Well, the, the, the kickoff return isn't that important in the NFL anymore. Anyway, it's, it's almost like a, a lost, a lost play and a lost art. You, you just, the big kickoff returns just not there anyway. So to have him as a no, potential right. punt returner is, is, is certainly a bonus. Now, Okay, we'll go. We'll go to the other guys real quick to see you know what your impression was of the guys that you had an opportunity to see firsthand, how they work, like you said, uh, how they interacted with everybody on the field and and the scouts and the coaches. Uh, third round pick, cornerback Aaron Robinson was at Alabama, uh, then ended his college career at UCF. I'm curious what his week was like at the senior bowl that maybe stood out for him because he seemed to be higher on a lot of teams boards than the public perception was on him. Yeah. And again, this is none of this is a revisionist history, Jordan, because you can go back to last summer. Um, I was posting about Aaron Robinson. He's so much fun to watch. He's got, uh, I guess the best way to sum him up. He, he's just got that baller quality to him. You watch his tape. He's, he plays with a ton of swagger, um, great energy, uh, really physical, really aggressive. Um, he's great in there in the slot. He's got great feel. I think there's more Swiss army knife to him than he was able to show it at UCF. I think he's got the size and the power, um, to go outside and play on the outside. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, his ability to come downhill and tackle and, and be a factor versus the run. You could also play him at, at safety. Uh, I think he's got that kind of safety, versatility wow. once he, okay. yeah, once he, once he kind of settles in, and learns the defense and gets adjusted mentally. Um, I think he's a guy you could move around and have a cool chess piece, but right away, I mean, I think he's going to be, I mean, he's, he's a heck of a nickel now and he's just, he, again, he just pounces on stuff. Like he's really fun to watch play. And I thought, uh, you know, to get him in the third round, I really thought, um, you know, there was a chance he would go in the late first. I know Daniel Jeremiah had him in, in his mock first round, at, you know, back in January. And, um, you know, you get into the process. You don't know why some guys slide a little bit. You know, there's a ton of factors. There's injury stuff. There was there's, a lot of cornerbacks this year. It was a good cornerback. Yeah, there was, that makes it, you know, that yeah, there's, there's injury stuff. There's how, yeah, there's how they interview there. There's a ton of different stuff, but uh, no, to me, Aaron Robinson is a, is a immediate contributor. I think he at minimum starts in sub packages, um, but I think he's a long-term piece for that team. I mean, I, I really can't say enough about, He's just got playmaking ability, and I just love the way he plays. He plays with a ton of confidence and swagger, and um, uh, I just love I love DBs that play play the way he plays. Yeah, I wonder. I'm curious. Did you? How much did you see him down in Alabama at all? I mean, I know you're, you're you've been pretty close to that program over the years. You have to be with the business you're in, right? I mean, they, they have so many good players every year. So I was wondering. I'm wondering. What, did you see him in Alabama at all? Like, how did he kind of compare at that at that point? No, I, I don't even remember seeing him at Alabama when he was a young guy. I, I, I don't even remember that. I just remember watching the UCF tape. Um, the last year, the last time I was in that building, he showed up on tape and I said, you know, who's the, who's this kid? And they're like, oh, that's the Bama transfer. 
And I was like, man, he's going to be good. And then, and then when we, we really got focused on him last summer, like a year ago at this time, after the draft, when we started working on this year's class, um, putting his tape on, it was like immediate, like it did not, there was no warm up period. Like he, he jumped out immediately just with his play style um, and uh-huh. the urgency that he plays with and the aggressiveness. Like he's again, third round pick. I mean, this, this dude's a, He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna outperform a lot of the guys that were drafted ahead of him. I, I feel confident saying that. Yeah, so you had a high grade on him, obviously. If you a, a good grade on Kadarius Tony, a first rounder as well. You viewed him as a first rounder. I know Zizo Ojolari didn't come to the senior bowl, never made it to his senior year. But I mean, is is it fair to say you like he's in that group also where you were around first round grade on him? I mean, he kind of slipped obviously because of the, the physical part about it medical actually. Yeah. Yeah. So Aziz, um, he wasn't available to play for our game, you know, being yeah. an underclassman and not having his diploma. Um, but I had to do a lot of work on him for the ESPN stuff. I obviously need to know all those guys. So, um, when I circled the wagons on him, he was, uh, he is the guy, he is the kind of player that grows on you a little bit. The more you watch him, the, the more you appreciate what he does. And, um, more than anything for me, it's his instincts. That kid really knows how to play football. He's got great awareness. Um, he's really good at the point of attack. I thought, I thought that the, the edge class was the, the top three were Quiddy Pay from Michigan, um, Jalen Phillips from Miami in Aziz. Right. And then I thought there, I thought there was a drop off after that. I thought there was a clear shelf after those three players. Um, to me, Aziz was the best, most consistent edge setter of the group. And I really feel like he's got pass rush upside because one, he already knows how to use his hands. I mean, that's, that's something he knows how to do that a lot of young guys have to learn how to do when they get to the next level. Um, but he knows how to use his hands and he, he's got a little bit of lower body tightness to him. So he's not the most bendy guy coming off the edge, but when he clears the corner with his hand use, he can really go. I mean, his short closing ability to the quarterback and his ability to disrupt the quarterback and get the ball out when he gets there um, is is a pretty cool trait. So, yeah, I really I really liked him. I thought he was going to go in the late first somewhere between that 20 and 32 range. Made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, late teens area. But then, obviously, there was, a I think, a knee or something was flagged. Yep during the medical process and that forced him to slide a little bit, but that's, that's a way a lot of teams get, you get a lot of value and for, for them to get him in the second um, was a great pick because I think he's a really, really good football player. Like I said, really instinctive guy knows how to play. And Ellerson Smith, obviously they throw in that mix too with the edge rushers. He's a guy you did get to see. I'm curious because he was an FCS guy, right? Didn't get to play this past season because there, there wasn't a season for his team. So uh, I'm curious. So how did that work with with guys like that that didn't have a season? Like, what, what was what was that process like? How did you handle those guys this year? Yeah, just like the teams had to, you know. Um, just really went back to 18 tape and 19 tape. So you always want to have two years of spread on a guy. So that's what we did. We went back and looked at some 18, 19. Uh, again, I, I felt a, I felt a big responsibility this year with the small school guys to make sure we were bringing the right small school guys so they could be seen. Um, you know, I had an idea that that Ellerson was going to opt out anyway and declare himself for the draft and not use that extra NCAA year. So again, right. with those guys, I mean, you got to get you got to put them on the stage and let these NFL teams see him against good competition. Because let's face it, at the FCS level, they're not going up against NFL guys very often. Mm-hmm. The, the nice thing do? about Ellerson, 
the nice thing about Ellerson, he did go up against an NFL guy in practice every day. You know, he was going up against Spencer Brown, who was the Buffalo's third round pick. I mean, I'm, they, they probably had some awesome matchups and I'm, I'm sure the most resourceful NFL teams reached out to Northern Iowa and asked for some of that practice tape, but, uh, yeah, he did a great job down here. So we, uh, you know, he's one of the freakiest guys in the draft in terms of, um, like the physical body composition and the athlete, um, just the combination of the two things they you know, you, you didn't get to see this guy during like combine weigh-ins or anything, but you know, our weigh-ins were closed and we would never put that stuff out, but wait right. till you see this guy at camp. Maybe you've seen him out of, you know, if it a rookie mini camp or training camp, he looks like a million bucks. Um, and he, and <laughs> not he, yet, he's not a, yet. I mean, heck, I haven't even met Andrew Thomas and those guys from last year in person. That's where we're at. <laughs> well, wait till you see Ellerson. Now uh, he's a specimen now. And, uh, you know, by, by design this year, we're just trying to bring the best players like we do every year. And it was a lean interior D line class. So we really lean more towards the edge position. We kind of over invited there. And so a lot of these guys were asked to move inside and, you know, pass rush situations and line up on guards at three technique. And, and he really showed out that way. Um, He's a big, long body guy, but he can get down in his stance. He's got such good flexibility. He can really, um, you know, he, he can really compress his body and get down low. And then he has, he has really nice, um, cross face quickness that he can beat guards with. So he's got length, he's got, he's got really nice point of attack quickness. And so he's a mismatch in there. So he not only, not only does he have the explosiveness and the length to win on the edge, he also now you, you think you can move him inside and get, get something out of him that way too. So hmm, the, it makes uh, me think of just you know, tuck when you're sitting there talking right there. We could be their next yeah. Justin Tuck type player. Yeah. And going back to scouting Justin Tuck, Justin was obviously a great player, um, but athletically a little mechanical. Um, I think Ellerson's a, a little looser um, than Tuck uh-huh. was, but I'm not, not to compare the two guys because I think they're. Um, yeah, worked, a worked out all right obviously. for Justin Tuck, you know. It, it worked <laughs> out perfect for Justin Tuck. No, I was, he was, I was on those Patriot teams that he terrorized in the Super Bowl. I was, I was with the Patriots back then. So, no, I know all, I know Justin Tuck all too well. But no, Ellerson in the fourth round, that was a, that's a nice pick. I mean, they have a chance. So you talk about hitting on day three guys. I mean, if they hit there, it's not, I've said this before, it's not like a single or a double. Like they've got a chance of hitting a home run or a triple right. or a home run with Ellerson Smith. Real quick on Rodarius Williams, right? It's the sixth round pick. 25 years old. That's the one thing that kind of stands out. Going to be 25. Stands out to me. I'm, I'm curious, as a scout, someone who's been a scout before and you're looking at these guys, how much do teams get turned off by that? I think less than they used to, honestly. And, I, and I've, uh, again, I've talked... Uh, because guys are playing shorter now you're look at how many guys are re- calling it quits early you know and yeah. they're getting two co- they're getting two contracts in and, and they're and they're done again at, at 25 i mean if he gets through his first contract he's 29 you re-sign him he plays till he's 32 i mean what more do you really want out of a corner yeah so i don't understand um, what these teams are thinking anyway because honestly if you get the first contract and you get four really good years out of a sixth round pick you leave and you're pretty happy with that aren't you i mean maybe i'm maybe i'm maybe they just want to be greedy or uh, I'm, I, my bar is too low. I don't know. No, no, but, but Rodarius, um, he goes by Lily, by the way. Um, really? So he'll, yeah, okay. he'll probably tell, he'll probably tell you that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, he made a really nice jump this year. We watched him the year before you saw these, this big long bodied guy out on the edge. And I always liked those guys coming from my Seahawks background, but, um, he took it up a notch this year. He was finishing much better. 
um, was it was just a more dialed in, like in into the game more. Um, and talking to his DB coach before we invited him, he said the same thing. He kind of challenged him before the season started just to be more locked in all the time on routes and not, you know, losing focus, having focus lapses, which a lot of, a lot of good corners do. They don't get challenged a lot. Um, so Rodarius really stepped up that way. And again, just, you know, took his game to the next level, was a lot more locked in, made a lot more plays on the ball, finished. Um, so again, the age might've forced him to slip a little bit. Cause I really thought he would be go more in the, like the fourth, fifth area. So sixth was, to me, a little bit of value, but he's a guy, he's a make it player. He's a guy that plays in the league. Um, is at minimum a good depth level guy. And because of the size, he's, he's going to obviously be a factor on special teams. So in the sixth round, that's, that's a guy that you feel good about making your 53. Which makes you optimistic about this class as a whole, I assume, but, but real quick, we're going to finish on this one. Cause I know you've, you've been a, a Daniel Jones. You've been bullish on Daniel Jones really since the start here. It seemed, and I know you mentioned, we mentioned it before when we were chatting, it seems like, you know, you're still optimistic he's going to be turned into that player that the Giants hope. Why why is yeah, it I mean, you're so bullish? Because he's he has everything it takes to be a winning NFL quarterback, you know, and I know the Giants fans have seen it in spurts there. But again, we're so critical right now. We're so quick uh, to to judge the especially these quarterbacks and you know, I kind of laugh we were talking about it with uh with a couple guys in the league and we're like, what would, what would Twitter have done to Peyton Manning when he threw 27 picks as a rookie or, right. or what, what, what would Twitter have done to Troy Aikman when he went one in 15 as a rookie? Um, we're just, we're not giving these guys any opportunity to grow. And again, they're, they're not excuses for Daniel Jones. They're legitimate reasons. You know, he's, he had two different coordinators his first two years. Um, then they go next, they go into next year. You know, just look at last year, new they coordinator, Saquon, they didn't have the Cope, around them, the offensive line. Yeah. And there's, they definitely had a lot working against him. That's for sure. He had a lot working against him. So we're talking about a very intelligent, very tough, very athletic. Um, I mean, just, you lay it all out there. This dude has it. So, um, this will be a big year for him. I understand that. Like it's a prove it year. I'm sure yeah. Daniel knows that, but with Saquon back with the coordinator, stay in this position, stay in the same, getting Kadarius, Tony, um, you know, getting Kenny Galladay, um, getting two young tackles, you know, into the, you know, in their second year, uh, you know, to me, it's, to me, this is the year it comes together. Yeah. I, I, I totally believe in Daniel. I'm with you on that. I, I, you know, I'm, I just think that he's in much better shape. They're in much better shape. I shouldn't say him. They're in much better shape for him to be able to have success this year. And I, I do think he's going to make that big jump this year. I don't know to what level he'll ultimately get to, but I, I think he's in, I think he's in for a good year. There's just so much more talent around him uh, on that offense and playmakers to, to help him out. Right. I mean, that, that's really what the giants tried to do here this off season is help him out. And that's what the draft was all about. So, Jim, we appreciate it. Your insight is, you know, first rate insight on these guys. Uh, there's very few people out there that have, you know, the scouting background and have done this research on these guys and also seen firsthand and, and been able to see and talk to them of how they work and, and operate. So uh, it's always appreciated. We'll have to we'll have to do it again uh, ne- next go around next year. All right, all right, Jordan. Well, hey man, so if we don't I'm talk booking you. Summer. I'm booking you. Yeah, twelve months in advance. Okay, <laughs> you got it. <laughs> You're a busy man, so I got. I know I got to get in early on that. Well, thanks, Jordan. I appreciate you having me on. You got it, Jim. Anytime. On to the next one. 
This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right. That was Jim Nagy, executive director of the Senior Bowl. Uh, just tremendous insight there into these guys. Obviously, he is optimistic about the Giants. As I'm also Mr. Optimistic these days, too, with my 3-0 prediction. Right? That's uh, very unlike me here with this Giants team over the last eight years. Granted. That rosters have been pretty brutal the last eight years. Right now, I'm going to take you through a Jordan on the beat. This is the portion of the episode where I tell you what it's like to cover the Giants, work for ESPN, or cover the NFL in general. And I'm going to take you through the schedule release, right? What we as somebody who's covering these teams look for. So say, okay. Where do they play? I talked. To, I was speaking to somebody on Wednesday morning-ish, and I said, you know, we have ESPN, we have a, a schedule release show. So we're not going to spoil the schedule. I know everyone's out there on social media throwing stuff out, but I'm talking to somebody from the Giants on Wednesday morning, and I'm like, part of the conversation and the schedule came up, and I said, hey, when are those uh, Los Angeles and Miami trips, right, and Tampa? Because that's kind of what you're looking for. As a beat writer, like, think about it. You live in the Northeast. November and December come around. It's not very nice around here. It's cold. It can be miserable. Trips to Los Angeles, Miami, and Tampa Bay, you're like, let's go. Take me to some warm weather. At least I'm a big warm weather guy, so I And then also, <laughs> when they say, we're adding a 17th game, and then you see at Miami, you know, you're just, you just start jumping up and down. Say, all right, yes, I will take that. I will take a trip to Miami. Thank you very much. Like if it was, uh, they added the 17th week and they said, oh, playing at Buffalo in December. Not so appetizing anymore. But as it turns out, I say, hey, when's Miami in Los Angeles? They say, please tell me it's in December. They say, yep, both games in December. And you're like, Jack. Pop, baby! Jackpot! At Miami, December 5th. At Los Angeles and the Chargers, December 12th. So back-to-back trips in December to the sun, maybe slipping around the golf the day before the game. You know, uh, I, I've have been, I haven't been to Los Angeles very often. You get to work for Disney. You got the free Disney passes. Maybe, maybe a trip to Disney out there in California the day before the Chargers game. So 
a lot. These are the kind of things when you're a beat writer that you're looking for for the schedule. Also, holidays, you see, hey, uh, Christmas. So we playing on, is your team playing on Christmas? Am I going to be home? Now, granted, I don't celebrate Christmas, but uh, Thanksgiving, same thing. You know, you don't want to be away from your, nobody wants to be away from their family at those times of the year. So at Philadelphia the day after Christmas, that's not bad, right? Because you don't really, you don't have, nobody has to get on a plane, drive back and forth to Philly. So that's a day trip. So very favorable schedule. And then Monday night at Tampa, November 22nd, again, pretty good. Close to December. Later in the year, you get a trip to Florida. Again, maybe a stop at Disney, around the golf. Good times. And I will tell you this also. I have been to just about every stadium covering the Giants in the NFL. Now, there's a few that I haven't. And there's one I am going to get to check off the list at, at Kansas City. And I'm kind of excited for that because that's supposed to be a great a great atmosphere, a great stadium, a Monday nighter in Kansas City. Now, I haven't been to Los Angeles yet. We'll be there for the Chargers or Las Vegas. These are the new teams. But aside from that, I've been to every stadium in the NFL covering the Giants and, and some of these games. So I get to check Kansas City off the list, go to Los Angeles, which would then leave me only needing to go to Las Vegas, which... The Giants won't get there for another four years now because uh, they play this year. They play Las Vegas, but it's in New York. So by the time the schedule gets around, the likelihood, I guess, the 17th game might change that. I don't know how they pick the opponent every year, but likelihood is I won't get to Las Vegas for four years. Unless there's a Super Bowl I got to cover there or something, which there probably will be a Super Bowl in Las Vegas coming up pretty soon. Because when you open a new stadium, you get a Super Bowl. So uh, those are the things that, as a beat reporter, or as an NFL reporter, you look at when the schedule comes out. Where am I going and when? When am I traveling? I did like the, I, I will tell you, I know for the Giants, it wasn't great to go to Dallas every year and open in Dallas. I like that Dallas trip. It was kind of becoming a tradition to go week one, Dallas. It's a big party there, especially week one in that stadium. That stadium, is a, I like that environment and atmosphere in that stadium. It's it's very uh, loud and party like, and Dallas is just a, a cool stadium. It's one one of my favorite stadiums, if not my favorite stadium to date so far. So, uh, but instead we'll go week five to Dallas. Now it's just nondescript. All right, week five trip to Dallas. Oh well, still the Cowboys. Wow, my voice crack again. There might be hitting puberty. Not sure what's going on here. Well, on that note, I'm gonna check out. Remember. Tell your friends, like, subscribe, you know, spread the word, and feel free to reach out to me as always. We'll do a Giants After Dark on the next episode, I promise. Uh, send your questions, Twitter, Instagram, email, TikTok, wherever you could find me. I'm Jordan Ronan. You're listening to Breaking Big Blue. See you next time. <laughs>